Hi everyone, welcome to Morning Matcha. Today's guest is Emily Culp, who's the CEO of Cover FX. Hi. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for coming and joining us today. It's such a pleasure to meet you, just even in the hallway. I felt like you're just so open and sweet and it was so nice of you to be so like just sweet about my son because <laughs> he was sleeping on me and I was hoping that he would, I wasn't sure of the timing and everything just felt so natural and I already feel like I've known you for, you know, months. You know what, I think there is a level of empathy without question being a working mom. Yeah. I also have to say with my little baby turning 10 tomorrow, it's one of those things where you look at, uh, and I think about everything that you go through as a working mom to make it work, you have to be flexible. Yeah, And make true. it just carpe diem wherever you can. Yeah, and I have so many questions for you, especially <laughs> now with your high-level career, just how you made it work. But I want to start first with just learning more about you and where did you grow up and what did you study and, you know, are you from New York City? Where are you from? No, it's a good question. I grew up actually in the suburbs of Philly. So I was a Philly kid, so not too far away from here. Um, it's really interesting. I actually went to an all-girls school. It was 19 girls. Um, yeah, but it gets better. Uh, so was, I graduated with 19, but I started with 15 of those girls starting at the age of four. Yeah, so it's almost like Survivor, if you yeah. Um So it's a really unique experience for me. Um, as I said, all girls, it really enabled me to figure out how to gain my voice and confidence and things like that. But it also was one of those moments when I graduated, I was like, I am ready to try something else. Yeah. I want co-ed and I want to go far away. Yeah. So I actually, This is high school, right? This is just yeah. high school. Yeah. Totally fair. And uh, so my parents drew on a map as far as I could go. <laughs> and I picked the outer circle, which was in North Carolina. I was like, I'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. So that's where I studied there, undergraduate. And uh, sort of effectually what I say is I ended up with two overseas assignments. And what I mean by that is coming from the Northeast, going to study in the South, very different culture. Yeah, very different culture. Um, so I learned a lot about myself there because I also didn't get to go home that much. So I sort of carved out my independence, also learned about, you know, when you're put in situations that you're not sure where your stance is, but then you have that moment where you're like, oh, I know where I stand on this issue. Mm -hmm. It really helped define me. Yeah. Um, and I also had the opportunity at one point to study overseas in Scotland, where I have some of my family too. What were you studying? Um, I was a psych major with a double art minor. So the running joke in my family was I'd be an art therapist. This was not my objective. Yeah. Um, but I will say growing up, um, I've always loved kids and helping people. So I actually thought I wanted to go into child psychology mm. and I did an internship and I will say um, I love children. But it was one of those things that I couldn't walk away from the kids who were upset. And I was like, I'm not sure I can do this career. Yeah. So where I pivoted is psychology in my mind is learning about people. Yeah. And that is true in anything you do for the rest of your life. Yeah. So it was definitely worthwhile. And my studio art just is a reflection of my passion. So I physically do do painting, uh, woodworking, all kinds of things. Really? Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's my creative outlet. Um, you still do it. I do. Now I've moved into the Michaels world with my seven-year-old, yeah. so I'm like a mean gimp bracelet maker. Oh my gosh. And I can make pom-pom trees out of toilet paper rolls, so I have some new skills to round me out as an artist. 
Um, so you're a fun mom and the CEO of a major You company. should ask my kids. You should ask my kids. No, I actually, my daughter uh, going there for a moment, she wakes up at 6 a.m. every day, including Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of time, even before you go to work. So a lot of times before work, I'll do an art project. And wow. where, and I want to be clear, I'm not like painting a, like a Mona Lisa situation yeah, yeah. before work. But I do an art project and where I find it, it unlocks a different way for me to think. So sometimes in that moment, I can kind of zone out, be in the moment, and then I think of a new solution for something that I've been thinking about in business. Totally. It's like meditating. Yes. It is is art therapy. This is as close as I get to meditating. Yes. Give bracelets. And you do that with your daughter. Yeah. I do. It's really fun. So yeah, that's sort of how I grew up. And then I went to business school in the city. And I've moved around. Uh, did you uh, yeah. have a, a job in between? Yeah. Okay. I so did. what did you do after college, before business school? Um, I did the first 10 years in advertising. So I went into advertising. It was like my dream where yeah. you get to, when you think about it, you get to shape brands. Yeah. And I got to work on some iconic brands. Some made it, some didn't like Kodak. But um, amazing brands, and you get to bring to life, whether it's in-store or online consumer experiences. I absolutely loved it. And where I think it was really helpful for me is I learned every single marketing channel, P&L responsibility, because you're accountable for all of it from the ground up. So it was kind of like a mini MBA, if you will, in life or business, but in advertising. And then I got my MBA, and then I went client-side. How did you, so you made the, uh, like, you figured out, I studied psychology, marketing is, or marketing advertising is a really great way for me to utilize my skills. Is that, yeah. like, you? How did I make that? Yeah. No, totally fair. I'll tell you, because it's not a total path. Yeah. Um, I didn't even know marketing or advertising was a legit career in college. I don't know what that says about me, but I didn't. Especially, I feel like, even though at that time there were a lot of, I feel like now it's even bigger of a thing, yes. whereas at that time, I don't know. There, there were, were not specialties. Yeah. No, there were not at that point. Um, how it came down to it, it's funny, it's like everything in my life, there's almost a bifurcation. I love the creative world, but I also love numbers and analytics. I'm far, I'm very strong in the analytics side. Um, so I was going between, hear me out, being a financial analyst, like I think Merrill Lynch had analyst program about to take a job there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I love this. I can problem solve. I can do things. But like the creative side of me was missing yeah. on that for me. And right before I almost signed with Merrill Lynch, I was talking to somebody, an advertising executive who it, it's an amazing opportunity. It was like, so I don't have a job title. I don't really know what this is going to look like, but this digital thing, this will, this will date me back in the 90s. This mm-hmm. is before anyone knew Amazon was going to be anything. Yeah. He's like, so this digital thing feels like it's going to happen. So you could be like a designer, a coder, a marketing person, maybe do some research, some other things. Are you interested? And I was like, that's my job. Yeah. So that's basically how all my jobs have been. I've never really had job descriptions or titles yeah we talk about this all the time yeah and i was like but for me like of course my family was like are, are you sure this yeah. financial analyst thing seems solid and i was like i don't know what i'm signing up for but it seems amazing yeah that makes and I sense love it. and you followed your intuition yeah mm-hmm. i did and that's where frankly it's been amazing like career-wise i've had some um like really early opportunities because I was in their early stages of that. Mm-hmm. So as a result, you know, nobody at that time was doing, like, I launched L.O. Bean in e-commerce. 
So there were no systems to build it. I was working with MIT graduates in a room and like coding it. And so you have the amazing part about all this is you just embrace smart risk mm -hmm. because there is no blueprint and you know you're going to fail. It's all about like fail quickly, cheaply, and don't repeat it. Yeah. <laughs> the non-repeat is really But how did you find the confidence when it was kind of your first time doing all this? Um, it's not that I fully had the confidence when I was going into these jobs. It's more the fact that I just had such unbelievable passion for what I was doing. And frankly, I felt like there was this amazing opportunity for me to prove myself and see if I could figure it out. And there's almost an amazing part as well that if there's no right way to do anything going into it, because no one's done it before, you figure how wrong could you be? Yeah. As long as you can get to the other end somehow. And for the thing, the thing that's most important to me is the consumer. Mm -hmm. And when you see like an amazing website go live or you see a huge brand campaign roll out in like 20 global cities and you watch consumers' faces or how the sales come in, you're like, okay, however I got there was a journey, but this actually worked and this is amazing. And that's, that's what's so gratifying. Cool. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so it is fun. So, okay, you, um, after college, you were in advertising 10 yep. years, then you went to business school. I did. I actually worked in, I was finishing up uh, my advertising stint, if you will, and I was doing business school at night, too. Where were you living? Uh, I was living in New York City. Okay. So, I moved, I went to a program at Columbia where you actually, your company has to sponsor you where they, you're a full-time employee, but every Friday you're out from eight until five, and then the same that Saturday, and you're doing that basically year-round for two years. Wow. So what that also taught me was an unbelievable discipline in time management, mm -hmm. and just how to compartmentalize everything. And helped you with motherhood and- It actually did. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, it actually did, because you start to realize, I mean, my philosophy, at least on motherhood, or the same even on business school, Wherever I am, I try and be fully present. So when I'm at work, um, and everybody does it differently. Mm -hmm. I don't judge how people do it. Yeah. But when I'm at work, I'm fully present at work. I'm not checking in on a nanny, an au pair, or like a family member or anything. It's like I trust them and my family's safe and mm -hmm. I feel good about it. But same when I'm at home with my kids for, you know, two hours, three hours at night or in the morning. Fully present with them. I even share that with my board of directors. This is the hour and a half I asked not to be disturbed. Mm -hmm. And then I can flip back over to work. That's so nice. I attempt to do it. Doesn't mm -hmm. always work. Yeah. But yeah. most of the time it does. So, okay, before we go into how you pivoted yeah. into makeup, yeah. I want to just kind of ask about, so when did you have your kids? Um, I have a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old, so I was high risk or late 30s on both. And what was, what job, what was your career at the time? So when I had Humphrey, I was vice president at Estee Lauder Clinique, mm -hmm. so I had a full team there. And then when I was at Violet, or when I had Violet, I was at Unilever. So you had already transitioned into actually working with those brands versus yes. an advertising. Yep, I was out of advertising, mm -hmm. exactly. And then when you were working at such a high level with those brands, I'm just curious how, like, did you take maternity leave? Were you, because when you have a career yeah. that high up, I'm, I'm sure they give you maternity leave, but then expect you to still be on call, right? Yeah, they do. I mean, part of it, too, is technology and where it was. When yeah. I and Humphrey, um, again, it was with Blackberries. This was before everything, but Blackberries were all the rage at this point, so you were on 24-7 anyway. Mm -hmm. 
Um, how I managed it with him, he was a really easy baby, and I didn't realize this until you have another one. Yeah. Um, he was phenomenal, but what I did with my team was every Friday, I would have a huge packet of information. I realize this isn't eco-friendly, but I was doing the best I could. Yeah. Um, a huge packet of information coming to my house on anything that I need to get up to speed on, any decisions I need to be made or what have you. The reason I actually printed it out was I know myself enough. If I got into my email or I started reading my BlackBerry, it, I call it like the black hole. Yeah. You just you lose all track of like five hours later, like the, and you need to sleep when you're a new mom or you're not going to function for anyone, including yourself. Yeah. So I did that, and then every Monday they'd come, someone would come and pick up all the information, and then I did that cycle. So yes, I did work, but I figured out sort of a modified way to do it for myself. That's so smart. Yeah, I mean, I've actually given that advice to a lot of women where I'm like, you almost have to go analog because if you don't, you're just not present. And then at the end of it, you're like, oh my gosh. So I did take it. I took the bare minimum. I have a lot of opinions on maternity and paternity and family leave in the States. That's actually something I want to do when I'm sort of done my stint in the world. I want to hear world. your opinion. <laughs> um, I just don't think we're supportive enough as a country. And I also think one of the things I feel very fortunate, I've been able to get, you know, amazing child care. Yeah. I don't have family nearby or who are able to help. Um, but I think about, you know, the impact on my family ecosystem. If the caregiver is sick or what have you, our country, unlike like Sweden and other countries that are far more progressive, create a whole environment to help the family. Mm -hmm. Not just the mom, the dad, or it could be two moms, two dads. Like, whatever the family looks like, I wish our country was more supportive around that. So yeah. that's something I feel very passionate about for both of my kids. You know, when I retire, if you all, God knows when that will be. I want to actually work on legislation around it. Yeah, we need it, definitely. I was at um, ABCB last yeah. night. I love ABCB. And just the whole ABC family of restaurants. But yeah. I was shocked when I went in the restroom and there was, they didn't even have a changing table. Yeah. And the fact that that's not mandatory blows my mind because we, you know, we've taken like leaps forward for accessibility, for wheelchair accessible and all these things, but we're still not thinking about mothers and their children. And it's not even hygienic <laughs> to not have that. Well, I think that's it. And frankly, in my own way, I've tried to make some um, some incorporations that aren't normal. For example, there was a business trip or something I was speaking uh, on a panel. And I asked, of course, the people I was going to engage with, I said, listen, I, it's really important to me. I won't see my kids because I'm on another business trip prior to this. Can they come? for a few minutes and actually attend because I tell them what I'm doing. When I'm getting on planes to China, it's not that mom's disappeared for two weeks just to, you know, go sightsee. I actually show them the presentations and I was like, could they, they're at an age now, can they sit in the back with my husband and just see what I'm actually doing? Mm -hmm. And so everyone at the conference was like blown away. There were two little kids and I was like, yeah, no, they're mine. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I brought them because I want them to understand what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I think there are different ways you can incorporate your family to help people also understand. I have more people come up to me afterwards, say thank you. I'm actually going to try this myself. So I don't know that it was socially acceptable, but I was like, what's the worst that happens? I yeah. mean, my children now understand what I'm doing. Yeah, that's so great. Yeah. Okay, so then, so you were at Clinique. I was. And then you were where? I went to Unilever. Yeah, so that's Unilever. where I had my second daughter, and um, or my second child, my daughter. 
Um, it was that one was trickier in terms of mat leave. She was really, really sick the first year of her life. We spent a lot of time in hospitals. Oh, no, nope, she's totally fine now. Yeah. So happy ending in that. Um, but I will say that was the maternity leave that I actually legitimately um, took the full maternity leave, whopping three months. Yeah, be clear, <laughs> like ninety days. Yeah, it's not that it's epic. Um, and I think that one was also really important to me, where I felt guilty in the sense that I felt guilty I couldn't contribute with my team and what have you, but I really had no choice. Mm -hmm. So it also reminded me again, there should be other options mm -hmm. out there. So after you left Unilever, yeah. then what did you went straight? Or the I went to Rebecca Minkoff. So oh. I've been in fashion, beauty, footwear. So I was wow. Rebecca Minkoff. What I was that with, like? Oh, I loved it. I worked with um, in marketing or yep. I was in marketing retail, so I helped them open their store of the future, the one on Ninety Six Green Street. So that, that's my little baby. Oh, we'll go sometime. Yeah. So where that was just amazing was it's working with two founders, and you know between Uri um, and Becky, you know brother sister, they're just amazing visionaries. And I got to actually pull together everything I'd ever learned mm -hmm. and open, start to open physical retail, which was really fun. Yeah. Very high pressure, but a Super lot of fun. Super high pressure. How many yeah. stores? Um, it's not that we opened so many. We opened the flagship in New York. We opened LA. We also had some overseas. But it's just when you're actually in every single detail of opening a store, you actually start to comprehend the mathematics, but also there is an art in retail. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't control the weather and that can throw off your entire forecast. I know. So it's very humbling. And so would you say the Rebecca Minkoff customer is similar to the Cover FX customer? You know, there there are some nuances. Yeah, they are. I mean, Cover FX, it's interesting. The position is around like vegan, cruelty-free. It's high performance without compromise. Yeah. So it's someone who loves, I mean, I'm wearing all the products now. It's someone it who- looks so clean and Okay, you're very nice. Thank you. Oh, really? But, you know, they're just, they're beautiful formulas, but it's someone who cares. Similar to, I think that's where it's analogous with like the Rebecca Minkoff consumer. It's someone who cares about self-expression, mm -hmm. who cares about you know style and what have you but they also at least in cover effects care about what they're putting on their body yeah and I think that's really important but yes there are some similarities and with working at Rebecca Minkoff and all these other um, businesses were you yeah. always when did you start working with the board um, I started working with boards probably most directly after Estee Lauder, so yeah, right around Rebecca Minkoff, they had a private equity company involved. Um, I was also at Keds for three years, so I worked directly with the Wolverine board uh, very closely, and then I obviously do now as well too. Yeah, so what's that experience like in terms of navigating how to communicate with the board and just, I don't know, report to a board? I'm just Yeah, curious. I mean, now I fully report to a board, those would be my bosses, and yeah. it's uh, two private equity companies. I, I love it in the sense that um, the board to me, a highly functioning board who has great governance is one that frankly should be an advisor, an advisory group of really smart, talented people that you can tap into. Yeah. And that are also aligned fully and success, your success that you're helping to drive the company. 
So to me, I'm, I feel very fortunate. I actually have the bosses that I've always wanted to have. Mm-hmm. So I love it. I think to your point on navigating it, it's personal preference. My style, as you can probably tell, pretty emotive. Yeah. Hand talker. Um, but I'm also really transparent. So to me, I'm very comfortable talking to the board because I believe it should never, there should be no surprises. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're keeping people informed, explaining your decision-making, making sure that you're reaching out when they actually can give input and have an impact versus just informing them all the time. Yeah. I think it's just common courtesy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are you having board meetings like every month or every few weeks? I just want to learn more about, yeah, about the whole board that, situation. Yeah, no, it's I fair. I think that just people who are listening as well as myself, you know, there are a lot of people that don't have this experience or they see it in TV shows or whatever. And you're yeah. just always wondering, what's it really like? And yeah, yeah. Where I found it really helpful is you start to realize like everything, like every company or every board you're on, it's all um, around, you know, the dynamics of the individuals you're working with. Yeah. So no one board I'm on or as a, even as an advisor is the same. I do think though they're key tenants. There's some phenomenal books out there on getting up to speed and how to contribute on a board mm-hmm. and understanding rules of engagement. Because there are some key parts in being on a board. Um, you know, there's real liability. There's actual personal liability. That's why you need insurance mm-hmm. and all of that to protect yourself. And also understanding what is your fiduciary responsibility. Your job is to protect the interests of all the shareholders. Yeah. And I think you can't take a board role lightly, or at least I don't. It's like another job. So you have to be super passionate about the board that you're going to sit on in the product and believe in it and want to make a difference with that team. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I approach them at least. Yeah. So ones that you're an advisor on, are yeah. those just in exchange yeah. what do i do yeah yeah it's um i'm an advisor one is this women in retail leadership group that i was talking about where i brought my children um it's honestly i one of the founders asked me a few years ago and to watch now become a huge organization i don't get compensated but to me it's like pure joy i've met some of the most amazing women through this so it's all worth my time. So cool. And another one is a financial services company. It's the same thing. It's really interesting because sometimes it's a totally different peer group. So I can bounce other ideas yeah. off that will help me in other capacities. So it's all good. Yeah. I mean, it's all networking, meeting people and supporting. Yeah, exactly. But it still takes up so much time. It does. It does. <laughs> a lot. Yeah, it does. How often are you meeting on those? Um, the shirt company board missing in Maine, that's quarterly. And then I talk to different people on their team a lot more than that, mm-hmm. but that's because I want to, yeah. and I truly believe in what they're doing. It's a phenomenal product. Um, my current board in my role where I report to them, I, we have board meetings quarterly and we talk sometimes daily to weekly. It just depends on what's going on. And then advisors, it's far more informal. Yeah. That's part of where it's understood as needed here and there. It could be twice a year. Yeah. And so with Cover FX, are you guys at Sephora? We are. We're at Sephora. We're at Ulta. We're um, in Tmall. We have a lot of points of distribution, which is great. And what? who would you say are like your main competitors in this category? You know, I think it depends. I will answer the question, though. Um, I think it depends on what, how you're looking at us. You know, we have 
some amazing high coverage products that you could say are somewhat like it cosmetics where I would say we're not, we're clean, mm -hmm. you know, we're vegan and cruelty free, which is different. But if you looked at it that way, I think there are others like Pat McGrath has some beautiful shimmer uh, eyeshadow products. We do too. Mm -hmm. It's just, as I said, we have a slightly different positioning in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And as much as even like an hourglass, which also has great products. Yeah is cruelty free but they don't have the whole vegan and everything else in the same distribution and really the same formulation that we do so have you seen the space change i mean you were in clinique and like skincare and yep. now you're on the other side i'm just curious yeah i mean i think it's exciting because you're a consumer i'm a consumer you know all men and women about 10 percent of our consumers are men too where I think it's really interesting is the disruption right now within retail. When you think about all that disruption, people are shopping. If you're anything like me, you trade up, you trade down. Mm -hmm. So you might go to a big box or a drugstore. You might go to a specialty and you also might buy it on Amazon. So you just have to think about where the consumer is going to buy or hear about your product. Yeah, um, I think that's exciting. I think one thing that's really challenging for consumers right now, and even before I joined, I did a lot of research on this space, is I would say beauty is going through almost what food went through like 10 years ago. Everyone's saying they're clean, similar to if you remember back to when people are like, we're organic. Well, what does that mean? Yeah. So I think we're about to go through a really interesting period where it's like actually getting one definition because what? Yeah. what is clean? Because mm -hmm. if you walk right now into like Ulta versus if you walk somewhere into like overseas where we're sold in like Space NK, clean means totally different things. Yeah. Even within the US or overseas or even in one of our stores in Australia. So what I'm on a mission to do is also help consumers. Like just help them navigate so they yeah. can make whatever choice they want to make. I think that's great. So. When consumers want to learn more about Cover FX, are they able to go on and buy it online direct? To Absolutely, yeah. Is that the majority of your sales? It's a mixture. So we have our own channel, um, .com. We also have almost 1.2 million Instagram followers, so we do a lot of conversations there and engage. And then we have physical retail through partners, too. Okay. And how are you educating people, then, on what clean means? Um, how we're doing it is, I think, again, it's all about, it's not being fully out in your face. I mean, we're not interested in doing that, Yeah. but he or she is asking us. So on Instagram, they're writing us like, what is a paraben? And we're explaining to them they're good, the different types of parabens. Same if you go to our website, we have a whole section on that. And we also have just updated everything on all our ingredients so you can understand what you're putting on and in your body because mm -hmm. it's actually about the same. Yeah. Um, so we have that. And then also in store, whether it's in Ulta or Sephora or wherever, Space MK, we are ensuring that all our staff is trained too on explaining the different things, what we have in there. Because each retailer, as I mentioned, is slightly different. So yeah. we sort of flex according to the retailer standards too. Each retailer's standards of clean beauty is different? Yes, totally different. Yeah, so what, I mean, I'm curious what the difference lies in someone like Ulta and Sephora that are both in the States. It comes down to what they've both made decisions on ingredients that they think are good yeah. or bad, mm -hmm. and they have different lists. But this is where I feel great, and this is where I got so excited and why I joined this company, is this company's about to go into its 20th year. We've been making vegan and cruelty-free before it was trendy. Yeah. So we were already pulling out ingredients, and by the way, it's actually really 
hard. There's a reason why this hasn't been around for many, many years. It takes years more reformulation. The formulas can be more expensive because you have to find different ways, at least in our case, to be high performance. Yeah. You still want a great foundation. You don't want it to fall off your face in two hours or yeah. melt away from you know perspiration or what have you. Um, so it takes a lot more. Um, and I'm sure manufacturers that are already making makeup don't want to help if they have to. They're not as incentivized. Yeah. That is absolutely true. So we feel very fortunate. We've been working with some amazing labs literally all over the world who are with us on like cutting edge. Like we just launched a beautiful talc free blush. I mean, we've sold out of it every time it hits the stores. And it's because it's high pigment, but it's beautiful and there's no talc in it. And that's really hard to do. Yeah. yeah. So what are some of the bad things about talc? You know, it's not great for your overall health. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, consumers can Google more about that, but it's linked to a lot of different issues with your overall health. And that's something, again, if we know about an ingredient, we're proactive as a brand. Mm -hmm. Even before maybe a wholesaler says, puts it on a blacklist or do not formulate with list, we've already most likely removed it. Yeah. So that's where for us, all the different standards, at least within the US, we're very comfortable with because we've always been that way. So what can we look forward to with Cover FX? Are you guys just Oh, the gonna... sneak peek? Yeah. I love it. Um, you know, we are about to come out, I'll give it in broad strokes for 2020. We're about to come out with something around one of my favorite topics. Um, you think about, I think a lot about what you put into your body mm -hmm. and around your body, whether it's at home as well or in the office, because um, I also have two different autoimmunes. Oh, yeah. we didn't even get into that. Oh, it's all good. But this is when you start to value things and that is one of them is actually celiac. Um, and when you start to think about all the different products that can be engaging or you know causing flare-ups or any issues, we take that really, really seriously. So one of the things that I've always looked at is like pre and postbiotics, and everybody's accustomed to ingesting these things. Yeah. Why not think of other ways to engage in what's dubbed your microbiome? Yeah. So there's you have a skin biome, and that is your largest organ. Mm -hmm. Is your skin. So are you guys, but in makeup. Yes, in complexion. So that's, that's a little sneak. Yeah, I think that's and then, so functional. Yes, functional and also something, again, going back to, we listen to our consumers. I actually do this once a month. I read every social media comment, and I read every customer service comment. Oh my gosh. Well, every, <laughs> your eyes, like, well, this is how you have all, that's how you have all this uh, coverage up here. Um, why I do it is because I care. Mm -hmm. And it's also some of, one of the products we're bringing back next year is because I started reading all these different comments where people, we discontinued product, I guess it was like two years ago, so I was reading past comments, and people were buying like 20 of that unit. I've and done that before. So have I. Yeah. But as soon as you find something, if you can understand as someone running a company, if somebody's hoarding 20 of something, taking all that space, precious space, yeah. whether it's an apartment, a house, whatever it is, they love this product, and it must be amazing. Yeah. That's one of the products we're bringing back next year. Why would someone discontinue a product, though, and I'm just always curious. Um, sometimes it becomes a relationship with a supplier, yeah. or the cost of goods can change, or maybe it wasn't perceived initially as being a top seller because it hadn't just gotten the traction in the marketplace, Yeah. but it happens. So I'm excited, that's another sneak peek. And then we have a third one we're actually gonna push into a whole new category next year. Ooh, okay. You'll like it. I'm, I'm curious what it is with your background. I'm 
I think you're like, yeah. I could be very happy. <laughs> yeah. So that was a tiny sneak peek. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing more about you and your experience. And I'm excited to check out Cover FX. Please do. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this week's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a comment or review, and share with your friends. I'm always reading our comments and love hearing from you, so keep in touch, and I'll see you next time.